In this week's episode, indie books are on parade with awesome new titles like Rain Like Hammers and Crimson Flowers that have us hyped. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B! We are back once again. Woohoo! In your face. Oh yeah! Coming into your home and busting up your shit. Wait. Dude, aggro, what is happening? Calm down. I just had a long day. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are back again with more comics. We're a bit crunched for time, so yes. we need to go ahead and dive into it. First and yes. foremost, we are talking about a brand new Iron Fist story that came out this week. Uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number one. Uh, I really, really dug this one. I haven't honestly read a lot of Iron Fist stuff. I read like a smidge of the Immortal Iron Fist run from like a while back. Um, but this one was really cool. It's it's one of those ones. I talk about this a lot when they have like random stories um, from Marvel uh, where so much of Marvel's storytelling is focused on big pieces and big story arcs and everything feels really doom and gloom. And oh, my God, everything's. Ah, the world's gonna end in like a few minutes and their stories seem to always take place over just like a small course of time and stuff. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's fine and it's good and it's exciting. And if done well, it's done well. And, you know, there's always a crossover event going on. So there's always this huge, big, bad coming in. Like right now we're dealing with Null. Um, so from time to time when they come out with a story that's, I mean, this still is doom and gloomy. It's like literally heaven is being attacked, but it's just kind of, it feels very organic and just kind of like set in its own sort of thing. And it doesn't seem, doesn't seem to rely on everything else that's going on. And it's just kind of a refreshing, like Kung Fu story. Um, and it was cool. I really dug it. Like I, I, it was, it was a delightful treat. Uh, after choking down the T-bone of Noel kicking the crap out of people, it was <laughs> it was nice to have a little souffle of Iron Fist following behind that. So it's true. I I think something that I find interesting about this book is that writing wise, it almost feels like it was written by like a linguistics professor. Because some of the language that's utilized and some of the words. At one point, Luke Cage said a word and I was like, I need to Google what this word is. And I was an English major. (laughs) Oh, God, it's come to this. Um, (laughs) But it was really cool. I I enjoy being challenged in in literary. I thought that was neat. But it's also contrasted with this like super traditional old school-esque art and the the flow and the motion of the book itself and the story itself is very old school. So I thought that was cool. But you guys know me. I don't typically like old school stuff. I think the writing and the story was interesting enough and more uh, unique enough that it made me very interested in it. And so I actually really, really enjoyed doing this story. I really, I really enjoyed reading this one. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, in... You know, prepping for the episode, I sometimes if I'm not ultra familiar with a uh, writer's name, I look them up. And Larry Hama, who wrote this one, uh, I just honestly wasn't that familiar with. And I got to say, that dude's impressive. Um, oh, yeah? Yes. He had minor roles in MASH and Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. He was on Broadway in, oh. uh, two, in two roles in the original 1976 production of Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures. Oh, <laughs> Wow. And then he's just been all over the place writing a bunch of different comics and stuff for like years. So 
that's really neat. I just, yeah, I thought, I thought that was really cool. I was, I was like, that's you're doing a lot of stuff, bro. Like, that's really, really neat. Renaissance um, man. So, hey, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's also a Vietnam vet, which is dope. So, good job, Larry. Good, good on, on you. Yeah, hey. Um, next up, moving yes. along. Next up is a title called Rain Like Hammers by Brandon Graham. Oh, so good. This one was awesome, and it's cool because at the end of the book, he gives kind of a little description and, like, author's note about what was going on when he came up with the idea. And he basically considers this kind of like a processing comic. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to get thoughts and feelings and emotions out on paper. So it's kind of like a journaling exercise. Um, And this, this book is so neat because you've got these, like, vast pages of art and it's actually not that much or that thick in the actual storytelling elements, but the scenery and the way things are depicted and the way things are laid out and the progress and the motion of the character and and being kind of let in in little bits and pieces into his brain and like what he's thinking and what's mm-hmm. going on. And then all of a sudden there's like this weird like potentially catastrophic stuff happening in the background that's like kind of glossed over as yeah. as not the primary objective like the primary objective is this is that our main character is kind of lonely yeah. he moved to a new place and he hasn't made a lot of friends yet and so he's just dealing with being lonely and that loneliness that comes with you know being new to your surroundings and not feeling like you totally fit in yet but it's it's literally sat on top of this like weird like oh also stuff is catastrophic and horrible and and things could get really bad at any second but it's so like like subtle mm-hmm. it's like this subtle little undercurrent i thought it was yeah. so cool and this the is, art is so cute yeah this is <laughs> so much more of an emotional piece than i went in expecting oh yeah i was like okay it's got a nice underground art vibe you know it feels very jimmy corrigan it feels very you know like yes fantagraphics type art style um and i went into it and god i just like bled for this guy like you can feel him kind of going through the motions and his motions we're all familiar with whether you you know have moved to a new city by yourself or started a new job or like you know a big one for a lot of people is like that first job that you get outside of college right Mm -hmm. because it's like in college, you do a lot of, like, jobs you typically get in college. You're doing it, like, with other people you know or in the college towns. So you're seeing other people you know. And you always have that kind of fallback of your, like, friend group. And then once you graduate college and you go off to this, like, new job, it's, like, a bunch of new people. And, like, it's a new area and a new environment. And it's crazy. But, you know, whatever it is, like, we've all felt kind of lonely and isolated and having to get over that hump of, like, getting to know people, getting familiar with your new environment. And just the the way that's depicted in this of this guy like going through the motions and he's got like little celebrations that he gives himself and like little special treats he gives himself but he's not really sharing it with people um it's so good it's just so good it was so cool uh he compares it in the back he compares it to a healing manga um and i definitely get that vibe like this is definitely a good piece for somebody who's dealing with a similar situation to kind of like you know help them cope and help them move through it or if you've Um, ever dealt with a situation like this it can bring back those feelings and it can be very cathartic to go through it with someone else. it's a very therapeutic very emotional book and it's just it's really cool it's so cool very much agreed i i'm very excited for the next issue of this book (laughs) uh another one 
that has a lot lot going for it beyond what it just seems on the surface uh is crimson flower um i believe this one's out of dark horse uh if i'm t if you want to look that up yeah. just so that i'm not wrong i believe this one's out of dark horse and we will let you know if i'm wrong uh but it's you know from the surface from the cover you think it's going to be kind of little bird-esque it's got kind of like a fantasy look it seems to be steeped in you know folklore um but when you actually get into it, it's more of a kind of neo-noir centered around a character that seems to have some sort of delusion, delusion-causing condition. Um, she mentions schizophrenia. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if it fits in line with that. Um, you were correct. It is Dark Horse. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I am good at this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, she is having some sort of delusions and she's also running a course of revenge. Uh, she is out for revenge on the men who murdered her father uh, dun, while dun, dun. also being steeped in these various sorts of illusions or delusions and like seeing things and the world around her kind of shaping and twisting into these like folklore moments. Um, and she seems to view herself as this like heroic hero of heroic hero. Good one, Chris. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm so smart. Heroic um, protagonist. Yeah, she sees herself. <laughs> she sees herself as this hero of a folklore, um, and so those kind of elements dip into the story and visually uh, many, many times. And it's just, it's a cool book. It's the art is unique. It is a very unique book in terms of the art, so it might not be for everybody, admittedly. Um, but I honestly say give this one a try. I think it's a really, really cool read. The thing that I wanted to point out is that I agree. The art is unique. I was going to say, admittedly, the art's not terribly pretty. But yeah. the reason, but I feel like that's intentional, and I feel like it fits because she doesn't seem that pretty on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so, like seeing things through her lens and seeing things in like this very damaged way, like yeah. having things be kind of grotesque fits really well, well with and how jacked up her, her perception of everything. Is. Yeah. And if you want to get kind of critical with it, you can probably like, you know, just because we're seeing her doesn't mean she's not also our narrator. So we see as the world around her changes. So this is not like a limited kind of scope. We're no. obviously in her consciousness to some degree. So honestly, some of that ugliness and the very extreme, like stretching torsos and very contorted body, the, the contorted anatomy that some of the characters have at different times and the, yeah, the ugliness at certain times. Uh, I mean, that could all just be out of her perspective. Yeah. She's our narrator. She, and she is not a very reliable narrator, admittedly. No. Um, so, you know, that ugliness and that kind of like odd cartoonish style in certain uh certain places really kind of just fits with the characters overall like this is what we're doing the overall like thrust of of the story yeah it's it's a really cool book it's a cool vibe it's a little dark i think it's got a ton of potential and i'm definitely excited to see where it goes and and what direction it goes because it you know the plot despite the like cool like illusionary stuff it is a revenge plot which can only be told so many ways so many times um so i just want to i i'm very hopeful that they're gonna do something really interesting and creative with it and 
I'm I'm hopeful for a twist. <laughs> True. So next up is a book called I Breathed a Body, number one, by Zach Thompson and Andy McDonald. So I personally really liked this one, and the reason I really liked this one is because it feels very relevant to me. Um, <laughs> I I am in social media marketing. You guys know that I do all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff with influencers and things like that, and so I'm very steeped in that world, and this book kind of looks at what happens when Facebook and Twitter and Instagram tumble. What's coming next? What's going to happen? What is going to take its place? And then what's going to result from that? And who's going to be the new influencer? Who's going to be, what is it going to look like moving forward? And we, it starts one way that is a little hard to follow and and very interesting and kind of weird and dark and gruesome and messed up and freaky mm-hmm. and then it migrates into effectively a story about a woman who's a social media manager for the biggest influencer in the world and her dealing with the personal consequences that come from effectively making someone a product which is a lot to deal with. And as someone who does social media stuff, I, I know for a fact that y- when you make someone into a brand, that brand becomes a product and you're effectively making that person into a commodity. And it's it's a lot. And so it's a cool look at a perspective. And it's nice because it's removed enough from current times where it doesn't feel like it can be tied to anyone in particular. And it doesn't feel like it's calling anyone out. And it doesn't feel like it's calling out any of the hand, like Mm -hmm. the social media sites. So it feels, it feels stepped removed enough that like you don't start picking it apart into like, Oh, well, but this is a thing and this is a thing, but it's also same enough that like, she'll say something and you're like, Ooh, that hurt. (laughs) Ooh, I felt that. (laughs) <laughs> well, and it's 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 a nice kind of microscopic look at, I guess not microscopic, but it's a it's a nice, um, I guess example or a sample of how that kind of stuff works. Because I I think a lot of people still understand, you know, you look at your like big streamers and your big YouTubers and your big influencers, and they still see them as just like this one person. They're yeah. like it's just this one person. They do and all they, their stuff. They don't understand that there's a lot of people behind the scenes too. You know what I mean? Yes. Like a lot of these people have publicists and a lot of them have makeup artists and hairstylists. Like once you get to a certain point, managers, and editors, you have an image. A lot of them have a business. And with that business comes all the people that come with businesses. You know, Absolutely. a lot of them have offices where they film out of. So it's not just them recording in their bedroom anymore. You know, they have editing teams and they have image editing teams and, you know, people giving them suggestions for content. And I feel like that's a good thing to understand when you're someone who's very steeped or interested in content creators and influencers and all those people, Um, because it can be very daunting if you look on it and you're like, look at this girl and her amazing Instagram and all this shit she does how does she do it by herself? Look at me dealing with all the stresses of my life. You know what I mean? Yep. And so if you understand that a lot of times, and this is obviously to an extreme because there's like, you know, it's like a dark corporation and it's like, you know, this guy running out of Silicon Valley, who's basically like running a YouTube on the foundation of forcing his son to be the best YouTuber. You know what I mean? And he um, also owns, 
owns like a weird vegan meat company. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there's a lot yeah. going on. And, there's um, a lot to be so you know that's that's extreme. <laughs> like I I don't. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there were like popular YouTubers and Instagram stars and stuff like that that were actually like the pawns of some sort of organization. Would not shock me. Um, but you know, it's 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 a nice look at like that. It's not always just some dude running out of his bedroom. You know yeah, what I mean? There's a lot them a lot more that goes into it. So, but I thought it was a cool book. I it ends with a twist. I'm very excited to see what the heck they're going to do with that twist. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. There's a lot. Mm, mm, yeah, it's I want to know <laughs> <laughs> the intrigue. So, but this one, if you have any interest in that side of things, the social media influencer, streamer, celebrity side of things, this is a really cool book to pick up. Yeah. Uh, last one I wanted to talk about is Abbott 1973. Now, unfortunately, this is actually a sequel. This is actually the second volume of a book called Abbott. Um, Having said that, uh, this one is easily readable if you haven't read the first volume, but all it's going to do is make you want that first volume like it did me, uh, and now I really need to pick up that first volume and enjoy that one as well. But this one was really, really cool. The whole premise seems to be this journalist running out of Detroit who finds out that she is part of some sort of mystical protector of the light, which rages war against the dark. Um in the midst of everything, there is a campaign going on for Detroit's first black mayor. There's all kinds of like racism and nonsense going on because it's 1973 and society has had very disgusting things in the past. Don't forget the uh, misogyny. Oh, yeah. And that's that's what I was going to talk about is I like um, there's an element of taking a look at discrimination in all forms. Yeah in there um and i think that's cool I've, i feel like too often um characters in these kind of like period pieces can get stereotyped into a certain like oh this is gonna be the nice but strict kind of guy you know what i mean yeah and so to kind of turn that on its head and reveal i won't say who but reveal that particular character after kind of giving him a pretty nice intro uh to be kind of a misogynistic dick um yes you know i think that's a real good kind of turn on its head to show that like you know discrimination and persecution it comes in a lot of forms and they're all bad and you can't you know you can't justify one form and the or the other just because of someone's stance on one or the other yep you know what i mean like if you're gonna be about equality you gotta fight for equality um and that's just how it goes but this was a really cool read i love the lore and the the environment the art was really really good uh this is so cool i really want to go back and read the first abbot i just kind of missed it it just never really like popped up for me uh but yeah uh highly recommend this one i think abbot's a really cool thing and i i wouldn't be surprised if this had like a tv show coming anytime soon oh yeah so. it definitely has that vibe i i got to say this book did something that very few other books do sequels explicitly do that i feel like they should um this one gives you a like two page frame by frame breakdown of what happened in the first book so that you know what's happening as you go into this so that if you didn't read the first book you're not lost you're right there in the middle of it i don't feel like enough books do that Mm -hmm. you know like you're losing an opportunity for a brand new audience in my opinion it does yeah i i loved that absolutely loved it because too often in indie books they don't like marvel does it in like all their books they're like here's the summary of what's happening you know right so there's plenty of easy jumping on points for a lot of marvel books um 
DC does not do that. And a lot of indie books, when they get into like a new volume or a new story arc or whatever, they don't do a lot of recapping. No. And really all it takes, and we've said that, I forget what we were talking about. We were talking about some book on here a long time ago, but we were like, damn it, all it requires is a one page recap. That's it. You're not wasting that much time. It's not that much wasted space. It's one freaking page. Give me a recap. That's it. And this one did it. It did like a two page, three page thing. That caught you up in the entire first volume and, and again made you really want to read that first volume. But you yeah. knew exactly what you were getting into when you got into it. 100%. You know, and there's new characters and stuff. So you can appreciate those and learn those with like alongside people that read the first volume because you're right at the same point that they are. Yeah. And that's how it should be done. You know, agreed. It was a great it's a great use of of space. And I'm really glad that they did it. And like Chris said, I am now very interested in the original of this because it's it's cool it's very cool i dig it i dig characters anyway i think that's gonna do it for that is it yes if if you want more cover b you can find us on our website coverbpodcast.com you can also follow us on social media facebook and twitter at coverbpodcast and we will very likely have another episode coming out on Wednesday. Another round. Round. Uh, and see. Sorry. That was. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> we will have more future state from DC number ones. It's going to be fun and great. And maybe we'll figure out when things yep. actually happen. That would be nice. And hey, if you're listening to this episode on the day that it is released, Saturday, check us out tomorrow on our Twitch, uh, Tink Tink Games. We're doing more of our Star Wars RPG. Uh, It's really exciting and it's really fun and we have a good time and we're very quirky and weird. Uh, So check that out. Or if you're listening to this on a different day, every other Sunday, we do Tink Wars on Tink Tink Games and we also stream six times a week. So check it out. All sorts of fun stuff. Anyway, we will catch you on the next episode of cover, cover B. B. Bye, everybody. Yo! Stop it.